It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Who they think they're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Today, Evan Silva joins the podcast. Before we get there, a quick rundown of our sponsors this week. As always, you can find us on the new Himalaya podcasting app, as well as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Really, anywhere you get your podcast. Remember to subscribe, give us a rating, give us a like, whatever it is. We appreciate all the feedback. We're also brought to you today by Hotels.com. As always, I'll encourage you to take a vacation. It's almost summertime. Go somewhere nice, have a fun time with the family, or by yourself if you need to get away, Hotels.com. Be there, do that, get rewarded. Also brought to you today by Grip6 Belts. Remember to go buy Joe a belt if you haven't already. He needs a lot of help with belts. You can find out your special offers at Grip6.com lock. That's Grip6.com L-O-C-K-E. So today we're joined by Evan Silva. There's not a ton of news that's come out over the weekend. It sounds like Gerald McCoy is picking between, well, three teams that aren't the Bengals, unfortunately, in Carolina, Baltimore, and Cleveland. We'll have to wait and see what happens with that this week. And now I want to welcome Evan Silva onto the show. Evan, I'll give you the floor for just a minute to tell the good people a little bit about yourself, where you come from, where they can find you on the internet, promote your work for 30 seconds or so. Yeah, my name's Evan Silva. You can find me on Twitter at Evan Silva. Uh, I've worked at as a senior football editor at Roto World for uh, 10 years and um, you know, have been writing about the NFL for about 12 years. Yeah, and Evan is... Uh, Big time writer. He, he, you, you are our most popular guest thus far, and if you judge by Twitter followers, anyway. So we're very excited to have you. Thanks so much for coming nice. on the show. Cool. Well, I, I hope that I, you know, meet expectations. We'll see. <laughs> I, I think you will. And and the first topic of conversation, I think, is a pretty juicy one. On May twenty seventh, for those of you that don't know, and I think our listeners do know. Evan tweeted, genuine question, why do the Bengals not get more criticism for being an organization that proactively deprioritizes winning? Of course, amongst Bengals fans, this was highly questioned. And even, even Joe and I are wondering, maybe looking for a little bit of clarity here in terms of proactively deprioritizing winning. Can you expand on what you meant there? Yeah, well, first of all, I mean, I don't think that any fan of any team, you know, would want to, like, acknowledge or, you know, even think about the fact that the organization that they pull for, you know, doesn't go as hard out to win as other teams within the competitive field uh, in which they participate. Um, And I think that first we can all agree that every team would prefer to win games. You know, every team, with the exception of, hey, you know, Sam Hinkie Sixers and, you know, maybe the Browns to some extent, maybe the Dolphins might fall into that category. But by and large, almost all teams would prefer to win games. And even those teams, like they didn't prioritize winning um, in a short sample on a short period of time because their ultimate goal was to win. And it wasn't just to win. It was to reach the mountaintop. And I think that, you know, I guess that some people misinterpreted what I said as me saying that I think that the Bengals are trying to lose. That isn't it at all. But there are a lot of teams that place a higher priority on reaching that mountaintop than I think the Bengals do. And trying to reach the mountaintop is much different than, 
having a, a preference for winning. It's really not hard to prefer to win and to dwell in mediocrity and sometimes tease with a good season here or there, but it's very hard to reach the pinnacle of a sport. There are 32 teams. You know, you have to finish first out of 32. That's hard in any competitive environment. And when I'm talking about teams that are really trying to reach the mountaintop, the Eagles, for instance, are clearly a team that invests heavily in trying to get to the top. They make heavy use of both scouting and analytics. They try to carve out competitive advantages in every area of the sport. They have an innovative and forward-thinking general manager. The Bengals basically don't even have a general manager. Um, the Eagles are really good about maximizing their draft assets, their value seekers in free agency. This isn't about just the Bengals not spending big in free agency. You know, smart teams are value seekers in free agency, going after guys like, you know, Haloti Nada as opposed to like Bobby Hart. Um, and then the Eagles sign their players to extensions before they reach free agency. They get good value on those guys. When they don't re-sign guys, they maximize the compensatory draft pick market. And then you have a team like the Bengals who are at the opposite end of the spectrum. You know, they stuck with Marvin Lewis for 16 years out of, I guess, loyalty um, from Mike Brown. They never won a playoff game during that, uh, that those 16 years. Andy Dalton over the years has really shown himself to be a quarterback that is the sum of his parts. He doesn't elevate teammates. He can be adequate when the parts around him are perfect. When the Bengals start losing guys around Andy Dalton, his performance on the field plummets. You know, he doesn't really make guys better. And I think that we've known that since he entered the league. And they've stuck with him for almost a decade now. This will be his ninth year as a starter. And the Bengals have put almost no pressure on him from a competitive standpoint. Yeah, I won't disagree with much of that. I think that you make some pretty compelling points. I, I think that Bengals fans would agree with you that well, not all of them, because there are going to always be those fans that will defend the team to their dying breath. But right. I think Joe and I would agree with you that we would like to see the Bengals doing more to maximize the competitive edge. And you, you talked about the Eagles a lot, which is a good comparison. It's not somebody that we think about much because we're so focused on the AFC, of course. So we think mm -hmm. about the New England Patriots all the time mm -hmm. as another team that you know, they, they've, it was highlighted earlier this offseason, the pick swap trades they do to avoid losing compensatory picks, maximizing compensatory picks, because when they're winning the way they are, guys like Trent Brown go out there and get huge contracts and get, they're going to return third, third round picks. So that, that's the team that we've talked about a lot. Of course, they have something that nobody can copy in Bill Belichick. That's a huge competitive right. advantage as well. So maybe the Eagles are a better example in that sense. So I appreciate that example for sure. And I think all Bengals fans agree we would like to see a bigger scouting department in Cincinnati rather than continuing to save money and resources by mm -hmm. having the smallest scouting department in the NFL. Uh, a lot of us would like to see Duke Tobin officially named as general manager, and we don't have a great picture as to how much power he has. Beat writers have told us that his power and influence and decision-making clout has been growing over the years, and there's some changing of the guard in the Bengals front office right now from Mike Brown to his children, visible in the hire of, of Zach Taylor, who supposedly is a, uh, a Katie and Troy Blackburn and Duke Tobin hire. So there are some things changing. And the, the interesting thing to me about some of your points is that there was a time that the Bengals did a really good job with compensatory draft picks and were lauded, yeah. were lauded around the league as, you know, drafting really well, finding good value, finding smart free agent signings. And it seems like to some extent that that strategy might still be in place, but they don't have the players to make it work. Or, you know, you can point to departures of Andrew Whitworth and to a lesser extent, Kevin Zeitler, because I think they did get a third rounder for him, but losing players who, you know, they maybe got picks for, but they were important players to the organization and they didn't necessarily have those replacements in, in house or in the case of Cedric Wahey and Jake Fisher, they had guys that they thought could be replacements and just were fooling themselves or were stubborn. Yeah, and, you know, those those moves to allow not only Andrew Whitworth and Kevin Zeitler walk in free agency, but also Marvin Jones and Muhammad exactly. Sanu. Exactly, yeah. Um, you know, those moves have really crippled, crippled the team. I mean, the offensive line has never recovered. Um, they put faith, I guess, in their small scouting department um, to replace those guys via the draft. Obviously, that has not happened. Um, they're at, and so they've resorted to 
signing other team scraps like like John Miller and, and, and you know and paying Bobby Hart you know decent meaningful money. Um, they stuck stuck with Vontez Perfect forever out of out of loyalty, I guess. Yeah. And you know, aside from him, the defense this year doesn't really look a whole lot different from last year when they were one of the defense worst defenses in, in NFL history. Right. Um, you know, and um, I think that you know in the NFL you can get away without truly placing reaching the mountaintop at the top of your priority list because everyone is making tons and tons of money. If you put out a mildly competitive product, the fans will keep coming back. They will keep buying jerseys. Um, you know, they'll keep buying tickets. Fantasy football isn't going away, and it's made the NFL immensely popular. It's, it's only growing every year. Sports mm-hmm. bet, betting is only going to enhance it. Mark Cuban recently said that uh, the value of sports franchises will double when sports betting gets legalized, and that, you know, that undeniable fact that teams are going to be immensely lucrative is not going to enhance teams' incentive to reach that first-place position out of 32. Um, teams like the Bengals will be able to keep getting by prioritizing loyalty to guys like Marvin Lewis and Andy Dalton and Vontez Perfect and just, quote-unquote, you know, putting out a competitive product. Um, just But putting out a competitive product and preferring to win are much different than trying to finish first out of 32. Yeah. And, and we've talked about that, too. When we talk about teams like the Browns and this year, it looks like the Dolphins. The plan is we're, we may not win games this year, but the, there's a long-term plan in place, and you can see it. You can see what yeah. the plan is. And for the Browns, for a really long time, it didn't work. And, and it's hard to know what was happening in Cleveland, and now it seems like maybe they've put it together. Mm-hmm. Similar in Miami, we'll have to see how it goes. Because we've seen in the NFL, we've seen teams try to tank and then fail, and then not not have that turnaround that Cleveland has finally executed after, what, 15 years since since mm-hmm. Derek Anderson's Browns went to the playoffs whenever that was. So mm-hmm. it, it'll be interesting to see how that works out. But there was a there was a period of time when Joe and I were thinking, well, is this is, are the Bengals going to tank? Do they have that sort of foresight in place to yeah. – to, to actually rebuild the roster instead of, as you've pointed out, I think in a, in a good point is it's, it's fielding that quote unquote competitive team. This is a stated goal of Mike Brown that dates back to the construction of Paul Brown stadium. He said he would bring a competitive team to fill Paul Brown stadium. And he's done that to some degree, right? They have, they went yeah. to the playoffs five years in a row from 2011 to 2015. And, and mm-hmm. the first of those years, nobody expected them to be any good with rookie Andy Dalton and A.J. Green coming in. And, and they won the division, as someone's pointed out, uh, three times in the past 10 years, which in the AFC North is, I think, probably, well, it's exactly average because you've, you know, we, we've talked about this, but there's an argument to be made that they're putting out a competitive team, but I think I see your point now that winning the Super Bowl is, and here's the thing here's, here's where I'm not sure you're a hundred percent right is they might want to win the Super Bowl, and, and like you said, wanting to win is easy. And I think they could even think they're prioritizing it, but they might not know how to do it. So it might be, yeah. what, what's the principle this is a, this is a thing, right? In social science where, be be careful about blaming, you know, bad intents when you could just as when it, incompetence is the most likely outcome, right? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, and I mean, I think that that goes back to like self scouting from the top down. Um, so can you, you know, come out of your comfort zone with Andy Dalton for a decade, you know, never winning a playoff game, and understand that hey, we have a chance in this draft to take maybe our quarterback of the future at number 11 overall mm-hmm. and you know are we going to pass on that opportunity well you know, I think, or, yeah i think that's a great segue so let's take a quick break and we'll come back and let's talk about the 2019 nfl draft because a lot of bengals fans are also ohio state fans when Dwayne haskins was there a lot of fans really wanted him at the same time there's been this gaping hole at tackle since andrew whitworth left and Bengals fans got very accustomed to good play at tackle, so there are plenty of fans that are happy with Jonah Williams. But let me take a quick break, and Evan will take a moment, and we'll come right back and talk about the draft. This is David Harrison of the Locked On Commanders podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Discover. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, we're back to the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Evan Silva is our guest today. You can find him on Twitter at Evan Silva. And despite his comments about the Bengals deprioritizing winning, he is a very smart football guy. I really appreciate his perspective and the points he's shared with us thus far. From there, we're going to talk about the draft. We started talking about this a little bit before the break. At 11, the Bengals were on the clock, and they had a chance to, depending on how they felt about Dwayne Haskins, pick Dwayne Haskins there, and depending on how they felt about Drew Locke, they could have taken him. And if they hadn't traded back in the second round, there's a chance that Denver was convicted enough in their belief that Dalton Reisner was the guy to take him there. Maybe the Bengals had a chance at Drew Locke in the second round. But Joe and I hypothesized that had the Bengals not let the Broncos trade into that spot, that they would have taken Drew Locke or sorry, Drew Locke and Dalton Reisner would have continued to remain on the board. So you think that maybe they should have taken a quarterback and which one did you like there? Yeah, yeah I think that Dwayne Haskins uh, certainly would have been a good meeting of value and, and need. I think that it would, it would have made a lot of sense. Uh, you know, you are starting over with a largely new regime, obviously on both offense and defense from a coaching staff standpoint. And, um, you know, you could have executed that model where you are playing Andy Dalton for a season and, hey, Dwayne Haskins only started one year at Ohio State. You could have dropped Dwayne Haskins into a pretty good situation with A.J. Green, although I think he's starting to enter the back nine. He was still highly effective uh, this past season. High efficiency slot receiver coming off a breakout year in Tyler Boyd. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm down on, on John Ross. I don't know anybody who's, who's up on John Ross. Um, but you would have been able to drop him in Dwayne Haskins into a pretty good situation. We've seen Zach Taylor be around a young quarterback. And um, I, I just think that that would have been, you know, just a very sensible draft pick for the future of the Bengals. And the fact that they didn't take Dwayne Haskins at number 11 and they didn't even draft a quarterback until the fourth round. And he's like going to be 25 years old. And, mm -hmm. you know, he really does not have a future even upgrading on Andy Dalton. Tell, suggest to me that they are still playing this, you know, forever loyalty game to a guy who throughout his career has been, you know, mediocre. Um, and they're just willing to embrace that mediocrity instead of trying to aim, aim for the pinnacle and reach a little bit higher. Or they're trying to perhaps catch the lightning of that 2015 season before Dalton got hurt when he actually had, you know, he had his best year, obviously, that year. And everybody on the Bengals stayed healthy. And that was a huge difference. Exactly. The whole yeah. the whole core of the team that we talked about that's walked away was still intact. The defense was playing better. And I think I think a couple things stand out to me out of your comments there. For one, you might you would actually find that this podcast is a little bit bullish on John Ross heading into 2019. And that might surprise you, but we are excited to see the Zach Taylor, Sean McVay offense hypothetically get John Ross operating in a lot more space coming off that jet sweep, uh, jet sweep action before the snap and just scheming guys open, which I think that that offense did a lot better than any of the offenses really that we've seen under Marvin Lewis, except maybe Hugh Jackson that, that 2015 year when the offense was clicking. If you look under Marvin Lewis and the history of, of Marvin Lewis's coaching in Cincinnati, Jay Gruden, of course, went on to become a head coach, as did Hugh Jackson, and to varying degrees of success. The, the strength of the team has always been on the defensive side of the ball. And so as Bengals fans and as people that want to see John Ross succeed, we're, we're hoping that this offense-focused staff with three quarterbacks coaches in the building and some, some pretty smart guys from what we've heard can find a way to get the offense going. Yeah, I think that in an ideal world, and you have to understand that one of the main reasons for the, the Rams' offensive success these past couple of years has been their offensive line, which the Bengals do not have you know, any percentile of in terms of uh, talent. Um, but the, the, the Rams' offensive line has been dominant. So you're already starting off you know, w without that part of the template. But 
in, yeah, in an ideal world, John Ross becomes your Brandon Cooks. Tyler Boyd, I think, can very much be C- Cooper Cup, and AJ Green is AJ Green. Um, one of the concerns that I would have for John Ross this year is that the Bengals are w- like it seems likely that they're going to play more twelve personnel this year. You know, year. that's interesting because yeah. if you listen to Brian Callahan, the offensive coordinator, it sounds like they're going eleven. And they're going to rotate those tight ends, including Drew Sample that they drafted in the second round. And occasionally you might see two tight ends on the field. But it sounds like from what we've heard, they're lining up in 11 pretty, pretty exclusively thus far. And that's, of course, what the Rams did. Right. Um, But, you know, you you bring back Tyler Eifert, you draft Drew Sample in the second round. You know, you re-sign CJ Uzoma to a pretty good deal. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, those actions taken by the team suggest to me that at very least if John Ross isn't producing, like, you know, they can flip the switch, I think, to more two tight end sets because they have decent investments now in, in, in three guys. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree with you. The moves they made suggest that they would be going to a lot of 12 with two tight ends out there, especially with Tyler Eifert, who can be an outside receiver. And you can feel good about putting him out there. And essentially, you mm-hmm. can run the same stuff that you want to run out of 11 personnel with Tyler Eifert out there. Maybe you're getting different matchups in terms of, of defensive personnel, depending on how they're going to treat Tyler Eifert, which I think is one of the big reasons they would want to be an 11 in the first place. But it'll be interesting to see whether those those moves they made in the tight end room end up pushing them into 12 personnel more, or if they live up to what they're talking about, which is we're going to run everything out of single back. Or, or shotgun with one back and we're going to run mm-hmm. everything out of 11 and it's going to look the same. And what the way that the players have talked about it and the coaches have talked about it is we're giving them the same look on every play. So it's either going to be mm-hmm. that, that outside zone or it's going to be that play action off of outside zone or a run pass option built off that outside zone. Uh, one thing I'm doing right now is I'm editing uh, Warren Sharp's book. I edited it uh, last year, and um, I'm editing it right now. I just got done with the Bengals chapter. Oh, yeah. Actually, yeah. And um, one of the things that he noted was that he that the Bengals were so much better uh, from a, an efficiency standpoint, from a success rate standpoint, last year in 12 personnel versus in 11. Now, there were a lot of moving parts over the course of the season, but – they did lose their top two tight ends in Eifert and Croft Mm -hmm. and they were still better in 12 personnel, even with essentially their third stringer CJ Uzoma um, being their primary tight end. Right. Yeah. Um, So I thought that that was interesting to note. Um, But yeah, I mean it, you know, it, it should surprise no one if this is an 11 heavy personnel team uh, just based on Zach Taylor's track record. Yeah, it's an interesting juxtaposition of a team that was very successful running it and, and running the offense, I mean, out of out of 12 personnel last mm-hmm. year under a totally different offensive system with the Bill Lazor, Ken Zampezi, whatever offense it was last year versus the, what we're going to get, which sounds like it is going to be very, very heavily Sean McVay influenced. And so that'll be interesting. On the other side of the ball, you mentioned that the defense is looking very similar. And that, I think, is a pretty good point, that it's a lot of the same players. But these players, I would argue, have had success in the past until last year. And then mm-hmm. last year, everything fell apart. Vontez Perfect was, as, as Joe has pointed out on this podcast, often playing rogue, not really mm-hmm. listening to what the play call was and just going out there and doing what he wanted to do, which led to some confusion. And they had injuries at every level of the field from... Carl Lawson and Ryan Glasgow uh, on the defensive line to every linebacker, it seemed like, on the roster, to every defensive back except Jesse Bates, it seemed like, on the roster. Right now, uh, Jermaine Pratt hasn't signed yet because he's been hurt. He's been working out on on the rehab field. So it's looking like Nick Vigil and Preston Brown are the nickel linebackers, and everybody else is the same. So for the defense to get better, they have to hope that they're getting that second half defense after Terrell Austin was fired and Marvin Lewis went back to the Marvin Lewis defense. And see if I see if you agree with this. Marvin Lewis would still be one of the best defensive coordinators in the league. And then let's talk about the Bengals defense. <laughs> yeah, he, he he might be. He was calling. Uh, last time I heard from Marvin Lewis, he was calling AAF games. Yeah, um, he was on on the color dude. He's actually pretty good. Um, and he's now. 
and he's now in Arizona State with Herm, Herm Edwards. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you have some blue-chip players on the defense. I mean, I think that William Jackson can absolutely get there if he's not there already. Um, and then, you know, Geno Atkins, Carlos Dunlap, Drake Kirkpatrick, these guys are all getting a year older. Darquez Denard, you know, I, he has been a guy, like, especially in fantasy football, you know, we, we target like, hey, you know, the dudes are, are you know, slot receivers are crushing a team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and hey, you know, let's let's start our, our slot receivers against this team. Like the Jets were that team yeah. last year, just picking all over Buster Screen and you know whoever was filling in for him when he was concussed. Um, but uh, and Darquez Denard, when he was on the field, especially last year, you did not want to try to attack the Bengals in the slot. But really? he's been so yeah, he he's been unreliable though physically. Yes, and um, you know that I think has been his main drawback. Um, I, you know, I, look, I, I think that this team has some, some, you know, potential to overachieve. Uh, last year, they went two and five in one score games. And that is a metric that should regress back toward the mean. Right. Um, right. And then it's just going to come down to keeping the guys healthy. Uh, another thing that, that Warren noted in, in his uh, Bengals chapter was that in 2015, 2016, um, the Bengals were top three in both seasons in terms of uh health um from just a health standpoint and then especially 2015 yeah and then and then in 2017 they were 20th in health uh health offensively and then last year they were 28th right so there are some like kind of positive indicators for the bengals to you know go back to the playoffs and lose in the first round (laughs) (laughs) it's a different coaching staff (laughs) Sorry, Jake. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's all right. We we've all right. definitely earned that. <laughs> that that is a well deserved reputation. I think the hope would be, and it'll be interesting on the defensive side of the ball because no one knows what we're going to get out of Lou Anarumo, who is the defensive backs coach in in New York. Yeah. A lot of these coaches have interesting ties to Dick LeBeau, and and a Dick LeBeau style defense, including the position coaches and and many of those guys, even the ones coming from the college ranks are coming from teams that when they first got the job at those college teams was the year that the team transitioned to a three, four defense. And I don't think that the Bengals are necessarily going to a three, four base, but it sounds like they are getting some of those five defensive linemen looks out there. And some more zone blitzes have been noted from beat reporters in the OTAs. Mm. And given the coaching staff's ties directly or indirectly to Dick LeBeau, I find that very, very interesting to see if that changes any of the scheme because for so long in Cincinnati, it's been the Marvin Lewis and then Mike Zimmer, yeah, 4-3, you know, using personnel in very specific ways. And, and this could signal a major shift. And the last time there was a major shift is when Terrell Austin came into Cincinnati and it did not take. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... You know, just looking at the, the the roster right here. I mean, these these young defensive ends that they spend that they that they spent you know pretty good draft capital on Sam Hubbard, Jordan Willis, Carl Lawson, keeping these guys healthy, having these guys t- take steps forward. I think is going to be huge. Mm-hmm. I think that the depth is is a problem. Like maybe throughout the defense, um, I did kind of like the BW Webb signing as an, as an underrated signing, especially because he can play slot corner and. Denard misses so much time right. uh, historically. And B.W. Webb obviously has that connection with Lou Anarumo. Um, B.W. Webb was a lot better, I think, than, than people uh, give him credit for last year. And I think that actually was a pretty good value signing. But, you know, at the end of the day, like he's your number four corner probably. Yes. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I get the skepticism. Uh, we, we, we watch it every day, right? So we're, we're in it and mm-hmm. we're – we're thinking, you know, Geno Atkins was an all-pro not too long ago, and Carlos mm-hmm. Dunlap is there every year, and Carl Lawson has flashed the ability to be a premier pass rusher if he can stay healthy. Of course, he's coming off an ACL injury. Uh, in the secondary, we're very excited about Jesse Bates, who played mm-hmm. extremely well as a rookie and, you know, shows this upside to be the ball-hawking center fielder they haven't had since Reggie Nelson was back there, with the potential to be better than Reggie Nelson, I think just in terms of the raw skill, the raw athleticism on top of the mental aspect of the game. And then, of course, William Jackson is is a corner that we're hoping is 
Jonathan Joseph's still in the league, but you're hoping that he's your number one corner for the next five years. Yeah. Yep. So that that's where the silver lining is. But like you said, it, I think a big part of it comes down to health for this team. When they were healthy in 2015, it went well. And as long as Tyler Eifert's been on the field for this offense, they've pretty much been able to do whatever they want. And, and Tyler Eifert's health has certainly been an issue for the Bengals offense in the last four or five years. So we've covered a lot of bases there, and I think the only thing left to do is to really dig into Andy Dalton, and we'll do that right after another quick break. We'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Locked On Bengals podcast here with Evan Silva. Talking Bengals, talking Andy Dalton. So, you think Andy Dalton is a mediocre quarterback? And I think that the internet agrees with you. Those quarterback tier lists are, are certainly in vogue right now. And I don't think I saw one that had him even in the average tier. I think the best I saw was uh, a tier that was something like, can't do it when the pieces around him are good. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So yeah, the, the trend is certainly that Andy Dalton is as good as the players around him. And I talked about it before we went on break there. Tyler Eifert seems to make a huge difference to Andy Dalton as a security blanket, as a guy that has incredible ball skills, can pick it off a linebacker's back or a safety's back. And a tight end, you know, generally those guys are getting schemed open anyway. It's just a very comfortable thing when you have somebody like Tyler Eifert as a, as a, as a target there. To go with that, Andy Dalton has had generally great skill positions around him, starting with A.J. Green, Marvin Jones, Mohamed Sanu, now the emergence of Tyler Boyd. He's had Gio Bernard as a really good receiving back for a few years, and now Joe Mixon threatens to be a better receiving back if he's used any way like the Rams used Todd Gurley last year. But like you said, he's generally not elevating that talent until maybe last year. Mm -hmm. Well... Tyler Boyd just took a massive step forward. I mean, he going did. from a guy who really, through two years, he kind of looked like a bust. Maybe you know he was having I, he was having like if I recall correctly, kind of clashed with the coaching staff at he times. Did. Yes, you know he, I think he fell behind Alex Erickson at one point. Um, he was he was in the doghouse for sure. Yeah, and yeah. Marvin Lewis, when you get in his doghouse, it's uh, not good. Not good. That's what happened to John Ross in rookie year. Yeah. Right. Um, but Tyler Boyd as a third, you know, he's a guy who came out of Pitt relatively young um, as it related to the rest of the, the that draft class, you mm-hmm. know. So but he was really, really productive and maybe he was just a little immature. And look, you know, guys come out of college at age 20, age 21. Like, what were you doing when you were 20 and 21? You know, I wasn't I, I wasn't doing anything productive, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah you know, you're right. These guys are, are are really, you know, the expectations are really, really high for these guys, and they go through some growing pains. You know, they clash with a coach. You know, they show up late a couple times. You know, and things can go south. You know, and but it was great to see him make that third year leap. You know, that historically has been in, in fantasy football a year where a lot of receivers make leaps yeah. in that third season and it makes sense now in hindsight at least that you know why you know why he why he was able to make that leap and we can kind of build in some excuses for why he didn't pop in his first two seasons mm-hmm. but i think that he his emergence was um really big for the offense now it really didn't didn't really ramp up until tyler eifert was gone so you wonder hey is is he going to get fewer targets this year um and then when A.J. Green was in there, Tyler Boyd was a little bit better. You actually want A.J. Green to be on the field for the sake of Tyler Boyd. That makes oh, yeah. sense logically because they play, you know, it's like the Wes Welker, um, Randy Moss effect or yeah. the, you know, the Calvin Johnson, you know, what Golden Tate effect or, or, sure. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think that, again, like I think we could just agree that 
this team, based on their, their massive swings in terms of durability, uh, you know, over that over the past four seasons, so much is going to depend upon um, their ability to stay healthy. And, and, Ty- and Tyler Eifert is at the top of the list because uh, over the 2014-2018 seasons, um, Andy Dalton's averaging 0.3 more touchdowns passes per, ga- per game with him in the lineup. And now that doesn't sound like a lot, but uh, that's the difference between throwing 27 touchdowns in a season and throwing 22. Um, yeah. You know, and his, his pass attempt rises from 7.2 to 7.9, you know, and he averages like 40 more passing yards per game. Uh, he throws fewer interceptions when Tyler Eifert is in the game. He's just his touchdown rate is going to be higher because Tyler Eifert is a touchdown scorer. But what does Tyler Eifert, Eifert have left at this point? Last year leading into the season, I really wanted to talk myself into Tyler Eifert as a guy that I thought, you know, hey, you know, can he buck this trend? Can we get like 12 games out of him? I mean, that that's all I am asking here is 12 games because the guy has gone like, I think the last five seasons, he has one game, one season above his games yeah. played. He has 2015, yeah. and he was healthy, and the Bengals' yeah. offense was uh, incredible. It was good. And, and besides that, yeah. he – and it's not it's, – it's, it's unlucky stuff, too. Like, I don't know if you know. remember the Atlanta injury. Yeah. But it was, it was no, particularly last, last devastating. Year. Yeah, that was, that was 2018. He was, he was off to a great start. He, he was on snap count. He was having a great game against Atlanta, too. And I think it was – whoever it was, somebody missed a block. And because they missed the block, it, it led to the. It ended up leading to the injury. It was a little tight end screen pass, and the guy that the guy that was supposed to be blocked ended up getting pushed, or somebody pushed the guy that was supposed to make the block and fell into Eifert's ankle. I don't remember the details anymore. I've tried to push that out of my memory because I was very upset. But yeah, and he got he, off to such actually, a hot start. He was yeah, and he was actually that was the week that everybody played him in daily fantasy that oh, week. Yeah. And everybody was like, I think he, he, he started playing real well in that game. If yeah, I he had a good after. start to the game. He was featured. Yes, yes, he was featured in the game. And um, everybody's like, all right, baby, here it comes, you know. But, but then he, he winds up getting injured. But, yeah, I mean, he's, he's such a difference maker. You know, and I wonder, I do wonder if the injuries to him and Croft last year kind of led the Bengals in the direction of making an, a reactionary draft pick on Drew Sample at number 52. I was surprised to see him go ahead of Jay Sternberger. Yep. Um, you know, Josh Oliver is much more of a, 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 a um, uh, uh, Tyler Eifert style of uh, of uh, pass catch of pass catching tight end. And Drew Sample is much more of a wide tight end. Yep. So those guys are very very different. Um, although, I mean, I think that Tyler Eifert can can be a wide tight end as well. But um, just. You know, it's it's that that was a, a pick that I I didn't love. It was the Drew Sample selection? Um, didn't really like the Ryan Finley selection uh, selection in the fourth round, um, and then later in the draft, I thought it was surprising that they took two RBs. You know, I thought I I do like both of those guys kind of as later round prospects, but to see them to see them take both of them, I thought was you know a little bit strange. Um, I, I kind of like the the Michael Jordan pick, you know, dude from Ohio State who's played guard and center. They, mm-hmm. they need as much talent in there as they possibly can, and as much competition as they possibly can. I don't know what, what were your feelings generally on their draft. We felt pretty good about Jonah Williams in round one. We we were uh-huh. kind of like we we had heard enough on the rumor mill that the Bengals thought Dwayne Haskins should have gone back to school to kind of know. The only quarterback in play was probably Kyler Murray. And, mm-hmm. of course, he, he was never going to be there. Right. But there were some rumors that they liked Daniel Jones. I don't know if they would have picked him at 11. And clearly, I, I think I think clearly, they didn't like Drew Locke enough to, to sit there and make the Broncos make a tough choice. And they were happy mm-hmm. to move back. And they were, of course, very excited to get Drew Sample in the second round. At the time, Joe and I were pretty negative on the pick we thought that we we had drew sample as maybe like a six a fifth or sixth rounder on the board that we put together which is a combination of you know pro football focus stuff the various metrics that come out for mm-hmm. the different positions the athleticism score the age that and you combine all that with the tape grade and that's how we kind of constructed our board 
We did not have Drew Sample there, and that was mostly because he just wasn't used as a pass catcher at Washington. Now, you listen to Bengals coaches and A.J. Green, and, and well, if you listen to those guys, Drew Sample's the next Rob Gronkowski. It seems like in the last week in Cincinnati, it's been a go out there and blow up Drew Sample or you're fired because it's been a crazy kind of PR campaign for him in the last couple of weeks of OTAs. That said, we didn't like the pick. We were fine with Jermaine Pratt. He was actually the top linebacker on our board at that point in time, uh, mm-hmm. not counting the guys that went way later in Cashman and Ben Kerbin, both of whom we were very high on. And I think they both landed in excellent situations in Seattle and New York. I think that those two will probably have good careers. And I think that part of that is because they are talented and they're on very good defensive teams behind good defensive lines or in systems that just work in the case of Seattle, where they always seem to get good play out of these guys. Um, In the fourth round, I agree with you. I did not love the Ryan Finley pick. I just, at that point, if you're not taking an upside guy at quarterback, I just don't see the point. I, I, yeah. I don't see the point of taking Ryan Finley, who, like you said earlier, I think you alluded to this, his best case is probably Andy Dalton. And maybe this is something they've had an Andy Dalton on the bench for the most part, right? They had AJ McCarron backing him up for so long, which is a poor man's Andy Dalton. And now mm-hmm. they sort of have that again in Ryan Finley. Yeah. And, you know, with the Drew Sample pick, a lot of people will point to, oh, you know, George Kittle didn't have big time production at Iowa. But, but on and- a percentage basis, he did is a thing. If you look at market, yeah. yeah, if you look at market share instead of raw numbers, Iowa just didn't throw the ball. Washington especially, threw the ball, especially at his touchdown market right. share. This dude just, right. just, you know, every time he's get the ball, he scores a touchdown. So, <laughs> like, it's, it's not uh, to but, say that Drew but, Sample but he, can't be Kittle, but it's unlikely, right? Like, it would be bucking expectations for him to be half of what George Kittle is. Right, and it's good that he's athletic. You know, that gives him potential to be more than what he was at Washington. Yes, right. You know. Um, and it's good that he can block because, Hey, how do you get on the field in the NFL at, at tight end? You know, it's, you got, you got to block, you know, like they, the coaches are not really, you know, a lot of, there are some coaches that are creative enough to get guys who can't block it at tight end, but you have to at least, you know, put your hat in there. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's what coaches ex- expect from, but, you know, making that drew sample to George Kittle, uh, comparison is flawed because George Kittle was a fifth round pick. That Drew too, Sample right? was the, yeah. you know, a second round pick. And, so, and that's where his yeah. guys like Drew Sample usually go in the fourth, fifth round. Fourth right. round is usually yeah. the earliest that's guys with his profile. That's where you guys had him graded. Go. That's well, where you guys had him graded. You know, I think that, a little bit lower even. Sense. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it was a surprise for us. Um, and it, it, was, it was especially surprising because the Bengals usually aren't reaching in the draft. Usually the Bengals are picking consensus guys and like maybe they're reaching by a round, but they're not reaching by what we perceive in the media to be multiple rounds. Now, according to several beat writers, I've talked to several teams, others beat writers have said, yeah, we we were hearing the same thing about, about uh, Drew Sample that he wasn't going to be there much longer. So NFL, I think Mm -hmm. was much higher on sample. At least some teams were and the media never caught on or the media just disagreed one of those two things. Um, But he's a lot to prove. I think the interesting point with Sample is you've talked about his athleticism and his polish as a blocker. The tight end position is very complicated, of course, to learn in the NFL. They're asked to do a lot, line up in a lot of different places, play a lot of different techniques. And so usually you don't see big impacts from these guys in year one. So it'll be interesting to see what he turns into. Uh, I still don't have high expectations, but he, he's really been praised heavily by defensive players on the Bengals, by the tight end room, by A.J. Green even. And, and that catches my eye a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't it probably doesn't mean much, you know, in, right. in the grand scheme. Of course. But you'd much rather hear good things than bad things about yeah. any guy like that. Yeah, right. So what do you think about this argument that Andy Dalton might have something left in the in terms of development and. The reason I ask is because of the trajectory last year where the parts around him, the offensive line was awful for really the first time that, well, second time, I guess, that Andy Dalton's had a really bad offensive line. The wide receivers, A.J. Green had injury issues. Tyler Boyd was there. Tyler Eifert had injury issues. John Ross, you know, he was a red zone threat, but he couldn't do anything between the 20s. For the first year, Andy Dalton seemed to grade better than the parts around him. And Joe and I noted earlier in the year, the things that Andy Dalton was doing different was he was keeping his eyes up. 
the the phantom pressure, the discomfort in the pocket wasn't there as much. He was making plays, rolling out, making plays off script for really the first time as consistently as he was doing it in his career. And we attributed some of that to Alex Van Pelt coming over from Green Bay. And that gives us some reason to think that there might be some development left for him. What are your thoughts? Um, it's just a very glass half full, you know, optimistic yeah, way fair. to look at it, you know, and, you know, look, you know, I, I've been taking him as like my second quarterback in a lot of early fantasy drafts. So I hope that you're right. You know, like, <laughs> like Andy Dalton can be like a good fantasy quarterback if these dudes around him stay healthy, I think, um, as to your, you know, I mean, just, that's my kind of viewpoint on, sure, on him. Sure. Um, is there more development in the tank? I mean, I guess it's not crazy to think we have seen quarterbacks take step for, steps forward sort of midway to even late in their careers. It's not, it's not impossible. He's only 28, 20, I think 29 years old. Um, so, I mean, he's not, he's still in his technical prime. Um, and, you know, you hope that you continue to, I think for me, I hope just, I just hope the guys around him stay healthy and I, you know, I'm skeptical of the idea that he can all of a sudden become a teammate elevator. But, you know, it's not like you can't hope that. Right. Yeah. yeah and and it, it is. You're right. It is a glass half full kind of thing. He actually turns 32 this year. So he's a little bit older than you thought. But he yeah. um, it's just the, the only reason that we have this thought is that there's this new coaching staff. There's three quarterback coaches when they had the first new quarterbacks coach of his career last year and Alex Van Pelt, and his original quarterback's coach, Ken Zampezi, was finally no longer around. He finally had fully new coaching around him. He actually did some things differently. And it's been noted that he's very good pre-snap, and the question has always been, can he process the changes post-snap? You know, he's on that, and, and I say this in a way that might get a reaction from you, he's on the Tom Brady spectrum of quarterbacks, and what I mean by that is it's, it's the mental decision-making, the pre-snap diagnostics, and Tom Brady, of course, is very good post-snap as well. And that's, you can still fool him. And you saw that in the Super Bowl last year where he threw that interception in the flat. And I can't remember the specifics of the play anymore. Uh, but it was a, it was a post-snap rotation and they fooled him. And Andy Dalton just gets fooled a lot more. So if he can clean some of that stuff up, if he can start adding the, the off-script stuff a little bit and get more comfortable in the pocket, which we saw for really the first time, I think, in a limited snapshot those first five games last year when the Bengals were 4-1, and one, that's where we're pinning our hopes if we want to be hopeful. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, as we talked about, it's, a, it's an optimistic viewpoint, but I, I get it. I understand where you're coming from. I wanted to ask you one selfish question because I'm trying to, like, project how this offensive line is just going to look, the configuration of the offensive line. It looks to me, and correct me where I'm wrong, we're going to have Jonah Williams at left tackle. They're going to give Cordy Glenn the first shot at left guard. Um, center, of course, you know, the dude that they took out of uh, Ohio State last year, and then, uh, Billy Price, and then um, right tackle Bobby Hart, and then uh, right guard either Alex Redmond, or are they get, can they please, like, just find a starting spot for Clint Bowling and not put him on the bench? You would hope that they would find a spot for Clint Bowling. We've been hoping for years that they would find a place for Christian Westerman to take some snaps yeah. because when he's been on the field, he's been their best guard. Uh, it, it sounds like the more likely outcome is right guard is going to be John Miller, who they signed from okay, Buffalo. Yes, from Buffalo. And unfortunately, it, it seems like Bobby Hart is going essentially uncontested. And Joe and I have really railed against the Bobby Hart resigning. You're preaching to the choir when you're saying that that's money poorly spent. It's one of those moves where you really question the competency, <laughs> you know, of you watch Bobby Hart for a year. You saw how bad he was in pass protection. You saw how many penalties he gave up that killed drives and you're bringing him back anyway. So you, you've got it almost all right. John Miller's a right guard. Cordy Glenn is getting the best, the first shot at left guard and Clint Bowling, you know, we we've, we've thought that he should have a spot on the offensive line, but it's starting to become hard to find where he goes. And honestly, I would rather have him at least trying to play right tackle because he has yeah. played tackle uh, and he has been great. College. Right. He, he was Cordy Glenn's tackle when Cordy Glenn was a guard at Georgia, in fact. Mm -hmm. um, and he, he hasn't been great at it in the NFL, but I think he's been probably better than, better than, than Bobby, Bobby Hart. Hart. How, yeah. about Bobby, how about better than Bobby Hart? I, I, I think so. I think that's yeah. fair. 
Yeah, the yeah. Bobby Hart stuff is is pretty mystifying. Right. So, I don't know. Just stuff like that is weird. You know, it's just weird to me. Like, why is this team doing this? Is there's got to be something going on that we don't understand? Like, oh, is he really good friends with you know this certain yeah. guy? You know, I you know I don't I don't know. But yeah, you know that that's not really. These are not maneuvers that you know. The, the teams that are really doing great self scout and yeah. you know, that's not teams that, that's not what teams like that do. They, they don't, they don't sign Bobby Hart. Um, and then, you know, to, to the deal that they gave Bobby Hart and then put him into an uncontested starting situation. Well, they did it with, with Russell Bodine at center for years too. For right? years, Where, for his for, entire, for didn't four he start years. every, every game of his yeah. like rookie contract. Yeah. Every game of his rookie contract, I think. And I think a lot of it, what it might be is that they really value availability. They value guys that yeah. react to coaching a certain way. At least they did under Marvin Lewis. It's interesting that Bobby Hart, with the new coaching staff is getting the same treatment. Like the Bobby Hart stuff is something that I would expect Marvin Lewis's Bengals to do. And it sounds like there's this totally different teaching style now. And yet you still have Bobby Hart in this position where like there's not another right tackle really that, that, that was even drafted in OTAs right now. I think it's, I think it's all undrafted guys. Jeez. And, you know, the, the Russell Bodine thing is, is also weird, as you mentioned. Like, I mean, I get the availability thing, but they knew that Russell Bodine was bad. They knew he was bad. If you go back and look at, like, their yeah. their directional run rates, oh yeah, they ran the ball behind Russell Bodine, like behind center, the, the, at the lowest rate in the league under Ken Zampezi. Um, and then actually, as soon as um, they got Billy Price last year, they were up toward league average. Sure. Uh, in terms of uh, directional run rate behind center. And he missed um, half so, the year anyway. And, and the so, other half so, the year is Chris, uh, Trey Hopkins at center. Yeah. So, so the Bengals knew that Russell Bodine was bad. They knew it because yep. we can tell by their actions. Yep. And then they trotted him out for what, you know, 64 starts in a row. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that, that's just weird. The, there's, Definitely some some power dynamics in Cincinnati, I think, that aren't well understood. At the time, it was Paul Alexander. He was the assistant head coach as an offensive line coach when he was still around in Cincinnati. And Russell Bodine was his guy all the way. And, I mean, he also was the guy that wanted to pick Oboehe and Fisher. It's, it's really weird with Paul Alexander because he has an excellent track record. Generally speaking, the Bengals offensive line was very good for a very long time under him. And then in the last really since that, uh, since that Oboehe Fisher draft, it has been very bad because they let those guys go out there and start. And they, and Russell Bodine was, you know, handed the job by Paul Alexander and he was his guy. And again, I think that goes back to the idea of like the way they respond to coaching. This is what we've heard as to why Alex Redmond is on the field instead of Christian Westerman. He's doing the things the coaches ask him to do, whereas Christian Westerman is maybe, I don't know, he's, he's not yeah. somebody that the coaches see doing the stuff that they want to see guys doing to get onto the field. But when he is on the field, of course, he's the best guard on the team. So when you get into situations where you are – essentially deferring playing time to the guys that are friends with the coach as opposed to putting the best guys on the field, you know, that kind of brings me back to the notion that this team, you know, isn't prioritizing, you know, they're prioritizing like friendship with the coach over trying to put the best guys on the field. Yeah. I see your point. I, I, I still would argue that or that's incompetence in competition. Yeah. I mean, I can't. I still can't believe that Russell Bonner was not even challenged for a starting job. Yeah, in four seasons. You're preaching to the choir there. I, I, again, I'll still argue that there's some degree of incompetence here. That their self scouting just doesn't do what it needs to do, and that's a good point that you made. I, and does incompetence equal deprioritizing winning? Maybe, maybe in a league that has as much money available and as much smart people available as as there are. There's definitely a degree of nepotism in Cincinnati, right? Like this is a family business in Cincinnati. Even the the undrafted quarterback they got in from brought in from Central Connecticut State, Jake Dolagala, is a guy that I think Mike Sherman went to Central Connecticut State and recommended. Yeah. Or, or that's the connection, right? That's the connection to Zach Taylor. 
So it's it's it, yeah. who is, uh, of course Sherman is Zach Taylor's father-in-law. So that that's the connection yeah. there, right? And and you can point to that for many of the coaches hired, many of the players signed, and that's mm-hmm. even why some Bengals fans thought that there might be a chance of Gerald McCoy because of uh, the coach Mark. Um, I'm forgetting his last name. It's not, not Duffner, is not it? Not Duffner. Duffner. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Came up from Tampa. Mm-hmm. Of course, that looks unlikely now. But let's talk fantasy for a few minutes. There sure. are, I think, some fantasy assets on the Bengals, right? I mean, A.J. Green is still A.J. Green. Joe sure. Mixon uh, led the AFC in rushing last year for whatever that's worth. He has some talent and made it work with a very bad offensive line that should be at least slightly better this year, you hope. Um mm-hmm. And then Tyler Eifert is a big wild card. If he's healthy, he's as good as any tight end in the league, but he hasn't been healthy for four years now. Yeah, and of course, you know, adjust for the fact that it's still early June. But of course, you know, I've done plenty of like drafts to know where people are taking guys. Mm-hmm. And, um, AJ Green looks like an awesome value this year. Um, he's going in the fourth round consistently. He's consistently been a second round pick in years past but I think that people are kind of getting fed up with the fact that he like hasn't been finishing seasons mm-hmm. and so they just think that's going to happen again and uh, you know like that that could it's more likely that AJ Green does play 14 to 16 games than you know plays seven to nine so I think that people are just messing that up and every time that AJ Green makes it to me in the fourth round I'm nabbing him no one wants to take Tyler Eifert anymore, and that's no. a little bit more understandable. Yeah. But still, you know, you're in a deeper league or whatever, and Tyler Eifert has touchdown upside, and when he's starting, like, he's a top 12 option. The problem, of course, is that he, he only starts four to six games a year. But still, if he's, if he's healthy for the first six games, let's say, you know, he's going to be a top 12 play at the tight end position in each of those weeks. To me, that's definitely worth – you know, a 16th or 17th round pick, you know, and that's usually where he goes. John Ross, I'm glad to hear that you have optimism about him. Um, you know, I, I don't, but you know, I'm, I guess I'm kind of leaving the light on for him because you can get him for nothing in fantasy drafts. So it's just all upside and, um, you know, uh, very, very low risk. And then Tyler Boyd, can he take that next step to becoming even better than last year? I like, I like the, you know, the theoretical uh, fit under, um, you know, uh, Zach Taylor, who worked with the Rams, who worked with Cooper Cup. You know, I like that kind of connection. Um, and I, you know, and, and as we talked about, like Tyler Boyd is an ascending player because he came out of pit so early. So I think the arrow is definitely still pointing up on him. Now he goes really high in drafts. He's like being drafted as a top 25 receiver and he's still, you know, behind AJ Green and his. He didn't really take off until Eifert went down. So you kind of need Eifert to go down again. I think that they are going to place more of an emphasis on um, the on having a more successful running game. And Joe Mixon, to me, you know, not that you're getting a ton of value, but I think that he is very much worthy of a first-round fantasy pick. And I think that he's going to be pretty consistently like right around that first, second-round turn um, in, in fantasy drafts this season. Yeah, that's. I think I, I wouldn't argue very heavily with any of those. I find, I find the most interesting fantasy assets on the Bengals to be those guys that you can get essentially for free, and that's John Ross and that's Tyler Eifert, mm-hmm. and the reason is because it's year three for John Ross. If he's ever going to put it together, this would be the year. He has the profile in college that suggests more production in the NFL than he's had. He did the thing that players have to do, and Joe has chronicled this extensively. He did the things that guys that have as essentially no production in year one have to do in year two if they're, if they're ever going to go on to have success in the NFL, and that's that he scored touchdowns. So he, he's at least, and he's, and he's repeating this in OTAs this year reportedly, He's at the very least a red zone weapon. And then the question is, well, can he contribute between the 20s? And all I want to see from John Ross in the Zach Taylor offense is running those Brandon Cooks deep crossers and corner routes and and just catching the ball on the sideline all day. Yeah, I mean, hopefully he catches it. (laughs) 
<laughs> he and, and you know what's weird about the drops is that they yeah. weren't part of his college tape. No, I think he had like two drops his last season at Washington or something. Yeah, and and yeah. the the speculation that Joe and I have about the drops is it's a, it's an issue of confidence. Really, Absolutely. it's an issue of Absolutely. not knowing where he's supposed to be. And you still hear this a little bit. Uh, Tyler Boyd had a quote in OTAs that he's still thinking a little too much. And if he's thinking too much, that means that he's playing slow and he's probably fighting the ball a little bit with his hands from time to time. So we'll have to see if that improves. But at least it seems like there's a blueprint for John Ross to be productive. And that's those jet sweeps. He should, you know, if, he, if he's used in that sense, he'll gain some rushing yards this year. And yep. in addition to that, just like using motion to get him free releases and get him running across the field using his speed. The, the 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 blueprint is there. Yeah, the Rams last year had the most rushing attempts by wide receivers in the league. Oh wow! And I guess that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, um, and they were highly highly effective. I mean, like eight ten yards per carry or something. Right. I mean, you know, it's not a huge huge sample. I think it's like maybe fifteen twenty or like fifteen to twenty five. Um, but yeah, that's a great. It's like kind of like a little advantage i think a little competitive advantage that sean mcveigh was able to carve out because you're just getting the ball in the hands of like playmaking dudes yeah you know and they're good with the ball in their hands and if you can create some space for them you know they they can turn out some big plays so yeah hopefully the Bengals are able to incorporate him in that way and it's just it's just so hard for a defense to account for it right because then you have the jet sweep action to pay attention to you have the the running back who's still a threat it's like a triple option right and then you have the 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 pass option that's built into those plays as well so i really like that that's coming over i think that that's an innovation that everyone in the nfl is going to be using relatively quickly if they're not already and and using it more and more because it's just so hard for defenses to account for all three of those options with the pre-snap motion thrown in there no doubt well, Evan, it's been a treat having you on. It's it's nice to get a, uh, I'll say, realist. We've had a couple of guests now. We have Brandon Thorne come to talk about offensive line and Jonah awesome. Williams. And he took the under on our six and a half. We had Mike <laughs> Renner from PFF, and he took the over, citing yeah. the historical success of a lot of these guys that are older now. But yeah. there are a lot of talented pieces in place if they stay healthy. So I'll ask you as we close and wrap up, Six and a half wins on the over-under, I think, is our number. Where do you fall? One concern, um, and I'm doing my own Bengals write-up right now, um, and I'm not done with it yet. Um, so, And I'll, I'll have like a much firmer take at that time. Six and a half just isn't a number that's – it's just it's a number that's pretty easy to beat, you know, first of all. Um, their schedule, according to the – they're not like – last year's one loss totals which is just not a good way to look at strength of schedule Mm -hmm. but if you are just using the the opponent's vegas win totals for 2019 you know um how many wins are are your opponents scheduled uh to have or projected to have by vegas and those get become these those become made efficient by um the the sports betting market you know hey if, if if a team is projected too low by a sports book you know a smart dude is going to come in and hammer the, the side that they like. Right. And then the sports book is going to adjust and make that, that line more efficient, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, but their, their, their schedule is like middle of the road right now. They do have the toughest schedule of opposing pass defenses in the NFL, according mm. to uh, Warren Sharp's metrics that kind of terrifies me. That's interesting. Um, yeah. But I also think that they can be, an above average, maybe even flirt, you know, top 10, top 12 passing offense, as we've seen in the past, if they can keep the guys healthy and they can overcome those uh, tough pass defenses. And also, you know, the, the pass defense metric isn't sure by any means. It's just, you know, one forecasting data point that we can look at and kind of, you know, tweak our opinion on what we think the team is going to do. Sure. You know, um, we're not basing our entire opinion of the team based on one metric. You know, we're trying to use a lot of different metrics, a lot of different observations, what we know about the team, um, you know, to come to a, a conclusion. But anyways, so I like that Renner and, and Thorne, both great analysts, disagreed on this. Uh, I'm just going to go with the over because um, I, I just think it's not difficult for them to get to seven wins. I think it's not difficult to benefit from that 
uh, positive regression in the one score games after going two and five last year. You know, hey, they they you know they go four and four in that metric this year. That's two more wins. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I also think that it's that they should easily benefit from the positive regression in terms of health because I just don't think they're going to finish twenty eighth in the NFL in you know injury health. Again, you know, it's much more likely that they're just middle toward the middle of the pack, and that mm-hmm. would be a huge step up right. from what they had last year. So, yeah, I I think that they're a seven to nine win team. And um, so, I, yeah, I, I think they're actually a fairly confident bet on the over at, uh, uh, above six and a half. Are you, and I wonder what the Vegas line is because I haven't looked at it. But maybe – do you know it off the top of your head? Uh, no, no. That's something right, that that's I'm going to okay. look into when I'm doing my, my team preview. But, yeah, on, on the six and a half, I, I do like the over. I bet it's right around that. It's probably – yeah, I bet. I bet. I, I would bet that it actually is six and a half. I, I think it. I think it is close to that. When Joe and I finished, I remember thinking it's either the same or very close to what Vegas came up with. Um, we we of course took a different approach. So that's interesting that you're in the over. I think we ended up in like the six to ten win range for them was the realistic range. So right around where you are, seven to nine, six to ten. We we just took a more conservative approach to it. Yep. So I think we're we're pretty much on the same page there. Well, Evan, it has been a treat. I want to, again, thank you for coming on. You can find him at Evan Silva on Twitter. He writes about football. He does great team write-ups about fantasy football, and those are all on Roto World. So, Evan, thanks again. Thank you, Jake. Thanks so much for having me on, man. It was fun talking ball with you. Yeah, it was fun. And we got to talk about the, the tweet, and hopefully Bengals fans understand your perspective. Until next time, Bengals fans, this has been the Lockdown Bengals Podcast. Have a good one. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.